Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined by Nate Atkins. Coming to you after the Colts get their first win over the Chiefs. Uh, they're 1-1-1, one, one, and one, which is uh, exactly the way everyone drew it up. Right down to the games. Everyone predicted these games to go exactly mm. this way. There's a weird way that like this is sort of kind of almost what you'd expect of the Colts in this era uh, where they, they lose the ones they're not supposed to and then they win the one they are or, or whatever, however you say that. Um, but Titans coming up, huge game this week. Before we get to that, though, Nate, did you bring a mascot? I did bring a mascot. No, he First only brings time. Him, he only brings them when the Colts win, apparently. I, I guess so. I, ties aren't good enough either, so you got to win to <laughs> to get me to bring a mascot. But um, want to bring out a couple little little guys here. These are the Redwoods. Uh, it goes back to a nickname that Julian Blackman offered up in training camp when he was looking across the line and he sees these two rookie tight ends who are giants, and one of them is Jelani Woods, and the other one is Drew Ogletree, and he called them the Redwoods. And it was a cute little storyline in camp because it was these two giant rookie tight ends who all of a sudden were playing a lot with the first team and were roommates and they were like acting like brothers and all this fun stuff. And then, unfortunately, what happens in this brutal game is sometimes – a redwood falls over and gets hurt. Drew Ogletree um, and had a very unfortunate injury. Did you, did you practice that? That was timed very well. It, nature takes it. Its, fell, its it fell at right, right at the time you were saying it. Life finds a way. So, so right now, one of the redwoods had to go out of the picture, and all of a sudden, we're down to one redwood, and that's Jelani Woods. And he was hard to find for the first few weeks. I mean, I don't know. If we're missing the forest through the trees watching this team because he was hard to find. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There we are. <laughs> eight snaps week one, eight snaps week two. And everyone's like, where'd the tree go? And uh, the Redwood came back out this week, though. Uh, not just one touchdown, two touchdowns, two for two in the red zone, game-winning touchdown. And it was just a good reminder that, that, that he was still there, that he still had this potential that they drafted in the second round out of Virginia. And the other Redwood never fully went away either because at halftime of that game – uh, yeah, I went out in the press box and I ran into Drew Ogletree. The other Redwood was up there, and he was as excited for uh, for Jelani as Jelani was for himself after the game. Just about because they talked about this so much, and Jelani has has had a difficult transition, which tight ends have in this league. And uh, Drew's been been there by his side, but really, this was just to me one of the moments that reminds you of kind of why this league's so great, why our jobs are so great, is that. To get down there in the locker room, to well, first to see the video that they had where they gave him the game ball, they gave Jelani Woods a speech. He said he was more nervous for the speech than <laughs> either of the touchdown catches. Uh, but then after you know after that, and he's sitting there at his locker after he's done his media scrum, and he's he was going from his phone to just sort of looking around the room, just like I'm really here. Like this is really happening. This is all the stuff that he hoped could happen that he dreamed of and you think about the rise of a rookie where it's so exciting to get drafted your family's exclaiming it's it's all wonderful then you get to camp and it's warm fuzzy feelings then the games start and things count and people start complaining and people start getting upset and Jolly Woods has had a, a tough transition like most tight ends do but he had his moment he reminded them that that there's a reason they wanted Redwoods on this offense and uh came through with an incredible play, an incredible moment. And you think of everything that's built for him as this guy who was drafted high to be a tight end on a team that needs tight ends in a passing league, playing for a quarterback he grew up, you know, just wanting an autograph for as a Falcons fan, you know, and it wasn't working out and it wasn't working out. And then for two plays on Sunday, it works out. It beats the Chiefs. 
and everyone in the locker room is talking about this young kid they call one of the redwoods and uh so that's a moment that i think i'll remember for a long time uh i'm impressed not only that you brought a mascot this week but that there was choreography the redwood went away and it came back it was well timed very impressive very impressive i also uh i always bring a mascot uh it's rivalry week so i brought two rivals we've got bowser and super mario you guys can uh you guys can uh decide who which one's the colts and which one's the titans but i mean that seems kind of obvious pretty obvious you got to take down the boss <laughs> to win the afc south um that was I hadn't come up with the boss thing. I like that. You do have like to take that. down the boss when the AFC like, South. It's like and Derrick Henry there. You go to tackle him, you get stabbed by like thorns in his back. Yeah, and he's kind of like big and. It's like I don't want that smoke. Colts it's, don't have anybody with a fantastic mustache, unfortunately. That I can they don't. Think of. Um, but uh, and and part of the reason the the boss thing works is that Jim Irsay, going back to the owners' meetings, said like. Beating Tennessee, taking this division from Tennessee, not they, they lost both times last year, matters a ton to him. And so this, this week matters a ton to the Colts because it matters a ton to the owner. And I, honestly, I'm not 100% sure three weeks into the season that Tennessee's the mountaintop team that they have to worry about. feels like Jacksonville might actually be that team this year. Tennessee, if you look at their numbers kind of across the board, they're struggling. Oh, yeah. um, maybe more than the Colts are, honestly. Uh and, but but in terms of where this where this division has been, they've won the, they've won it the last two years. They've been the team that you have to take down. Therefore, they're the boss, and the Colts need to jump on his head. So that's Derrick Henry, and this is Jonathan Taylor. Sure. We've been waiting on a hero this season, Jonathan sure, but, Taylor. Sure, but this is this is this is Jonathan Taylor. If you always hold down the Y button, because Jonathan Taylor's fast. He's very he, fast. Yeah, so you don't you're not going slow with it. They, uh, Mario needs some help, though. Mario does need some help. I, I didn't bring any help, and the Colts are still well, looking for stuff. It looks stuff. like he's running without an offensive <laughs> line, which is kind of similar to this season. Uh, <laughs> hopefully he can take down the boss, though. Sometimes Derrick Henry, I mean, he doesn't have an offensive line either, but the problem is, like, that, that doesn't really help you as a defender. Oh, I don't have to go through an offensive line to get to Derrick Henry. I just have to go through Derrick Henry and get run over. Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge. Henry, Henry's averaging only 3.6 yards per carry. That's, it's, it's a matchup that in the past uh, felt bigger than maybe – I mean, it's going to be talked about a lot because it's Taylor versus Henry. It's the last two best backs in the NFL. They're going to talk about that a lot. I'm, if you look at the numbers so far – that that matchup actually probably skews Colts because the Colts are giving up almost nothing on the ground in terms of yard. I think they're first in yards per carry uh, allowed. They're they're not giving up anything. Grover Stewart has been a monster uh, in the middle there. So Bowser Bowser doesn't realize this, but he's he's probably going up against the the worst uh, opposition he's faced. It's like say. it's like uh, it's like Mario got one of those giant bullet things. Bill, Bullet Bill, I think his name is, and that's Grover. <laughs> he turned it around on Bowser, and it's like you have to go through that. I was um, going to say that. Look at it, Bowser. That kind of looks like what Grover Stewart would be as a player. So I wonder if Derrick Henry gets through there. Oh, the don't ball. insult Grover like that. Bowser, Bowser, Bowser never lived up to his look. Bowser, Bowser is never tougher, as tough as his look. Can't do that to Grover. I don't know. I think Bowser's <laughs> better than you think he is. I think he's the boss. And 
Right now, that's an over Stewart's He's an ineffective boss. <laughs> that's true. Well, the the bad guys are supposed to win in the video games. In real life, sometimes the bad guys win. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's amazing when teams try and run against the Colts right now because you kind of have two options, and neither are great. You either run up the middle and you run right into the gut of Grover Stewart mauling your right guard, or if you try and move out, it's now DeForest Buckner, who's you know six seven and he's got his explosion back in his hips. It looks like, or you try and run outside, and that's where Bobby Okereke and, and Zaire Franklin right now are just kind of like missiles to the ball. I mean, they they're still adjusting to some of the man matched parts of. Uh, Gus Bradley's defense, but run defense, whenever it's an outside run, those, those guys have just put the guy in the ground. One other guy who's been really good in run defense, I, I don't know if he's getting the uh, – Pay has been really good. Uh, he has been. Quiddy Pay has four tackles for loss. That's uh, I mean, he's tied with – there haven't been enough weeks for that to separate yet, so he's tied for second with a bunch of players. But four tackles for loss is significant. I mean, he's got the two sacks. Um, he's been playing really well there. And he he's going to matter because, at least in – I haven't – watched the titans much more than the bills game so far and that was hard to get a good gauge on what they're doing with henry this year because the bills just destroyed them um but in the past with henry for all of his bulk and as big as he is he's hurt the colts the most i mean we off tackle in the in the open field um and so you know i think grover is a big deal but i don't think they're going to go at him I think they're going to try to go on the edges. And so Quiddy Pay playing well, the linebackers playing well. I think maybe we see more of Nick Cross this week um, because of the, the physical capabilities. He's kind of a – he's – Rodney McLeod is a free safety by trade, generally. Uh, he has been throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Cross packs a little more punch, and I think that that's going to matter probably coming down. In past games when they've done well against Derrick Henry, the strong safety has played a big role. Um, Kari Willis had some very good games against him. Um, in the past, uh, Clayton Gathers had, had had some games against him in the past. They're gonna the strong safety tends to end up because they go you know to the outside some playing a big role. I wonder if that means we see Nick Cross a little bit more this week. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about Nick Cross. Only played one snap on Sunday, and it was pretty easy to figure out after the game why that was the case. It just Patrick Mahomes stresses every level of your communication and uh, and your coverage, your ability to pass off. Uh, route combinations and um, and especially when Rodney Thomas came into that game they did not want to have two rookie safeties against Patrick Mahomes so Rodney McLeod brought, has brought a lot of value just in getting this defense right from a coverage standpoint but it is a little different this week with the Derrick Henry effect and, and Rodney Rodney's really good at, at getting the run fit so he was sort of a guy they had a lot in practice to get that down uh, but he's he he, he needs about you know a teammate or two to help him out with Derrick Henry like like many defensive backs do but he's he's a little on the slender side so uh you could see Nick Cross it's been interesting though that Nick Cross went from you know, he was playing every snap week one to to it's kind of gone down week by week and they, that's how they've described it is it's been matchups I sense it's it's sort of matchups and it's also just sort of uh not exposing a rookie in a passing league, but maybe this is a, a a week where you can get away with it a little bit more. Well, they also they also mixed up their coverages a ton last week. I mean, they were mm-hmm. they were doing different stuff on every snap, and there's a lot mentally. I mean, that position that the, the strong safety position in that defense does a lot mentally anyway. Um, it's the communicator, it's the check, uh, and and then on top of that, they're 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 shifting all these coverages to mess with Mahomes. They probably should continue to do that <laughs> just based on the way the NFL is going. Anything you can do to make people hold it, uh, it that's, 
and so I think I think that the especially the combination of the fact that it's the Chiefs who do a ton of misdirection and they do a bunch of stuff in the middle of the field and you know people are crossing and doing all kinds of stuff like that. The combination of that plus the complex the complex nature of the Colts game plan last week and how they were mixing up coverages. I mean, Nick Cross is is twenty and he's not experienced. Just turned oh he's twenty one now, yeah. But uh he's and he's not that experienced and it's that's that's a lot mentally on a player when you're making the calls, you're making the checks, you're in a different coverage every time. I think that that, that was the most revealing thing Gus Bradley said was, you know, we wanted him in there for a little bit more experience with who we were dealing with. That's that's probably why more so than whenever whenever a coach says, I guess whenever a coach says it wasn't really anything that this one player was doing, I, you got to take that with a grain of salt yeah. because if they were doing everything right, everything perfectly, they would play. So and to be to be straight up, Gus Bradley has yet to tell us when a player has messed up and gotten himself right. off the field. So right. you kind of have to read these in context. It's probably yeah, it's probably a mix of all that. It's it's a big moment for a rookie. That specific role. That a lot of people questioned. Well, why did Rodney Thomas go in the game over uh, over Nick Cross, two rookie safeties? It's just they're different positions. Like Nick Cross yes. is a strong safety. They want him in the box. His skill set plays that way. Uh, Rodney Thomas. Right now is the backup free safety to Julian Blackman because he's so athletic and rangy, but also such a secure tackler. But the bigger thing is, it seems weird from the outside, but once you get into the weeds of this defense, it's easier to be, much easier to be a rookie in the free safety spot. It challenges you athletically, but mentally it's easier because it's it's the strong safety who's setting a lot of these calls. He's sort of that, like, there's four levels of this defense. He's more involved in the run fits, too. Yeah. The strong safety's more involved in the run fits. The free safety's so far back that he... He's the umbrella. It's it's a, it's mentally a simple role. Athletically, it's a very difficult role. But And that's where props to Rodney Thomas, who's another little um, star in this game, who kind of came out, you know, a rookie who was a star in this game because we hadn't really seen him outside of some, some nice tackles in the preseason. Uh, you know, then he's a backup, then he's a special teamer, and then all of a sudden he's... Checking in against Patrick Mahomes in the, late in the second quarter, and Mahomes went right at him with the throw across the middle on the run. That if he completes it is one of those like all-time Mahomes highlights, and really could have crushed the Colts in that moment. They were kind of just trying to hang in, and Ronnie Thomas just adjusts, get back, uh, and gets a hand on the ball, which which showed his length. And he just plays with such confidence as a you know as a, as a I'll be right on it this week, but a player out of Yale who uh, you know just. Like mentally, nothing is, is stressing him at all. He's he's perfected, maybe not perfected, but he's really gotten good at tackling. That was the way he rose up at Yale, and that's what really a lot, every veteran I've talked to, whether it's Kenny Moore or Brandon Faison or, or Rodney McLeod, they all say like this kid does not tackle like a rookie. And in this in this defense, you think of the free safety as you know it's thought of as like a big coverage player. It's it's really a last a true last line of defense. You, like if you. If any run or pass gets past that guy, they look at that as you know as a as an indictment of him, and it's it's a super hard job to play in the middle of the field to do that. But Rodney Tobbs is showing that that if there's one part of his game that he can really really bring right now, and it's that that tackling, which goes to physical ability, which goes to confidence, which is just a rare kind of thing for a rookie, and and that's what you get it for a for a kid out of Yale. And I think I think the other thing is people are I think people are probably overreacting to cross playing one snap. The three weeks didn't I mean I know people are excited about him they want him on the field he's got some athletic gifts he's still a rookie and 
if anything, Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods this week should tell us that whatever happens in one game doesn't mean that that's what's going to look like the rest of the season. Alec Pierce is probably the best example of that. I mean, mm-hmm. Alec Pierce had as bad a week one as you could possibly have as a rookie wide receiver. And last week he looked like he, he looked like the guy they thought they were getting when he, when he was drafted. Now he made one, he made one mistake on his final route of the day, right before the woods touchdown where he said, if he'd run his route a little differently, he probably would have had more separation and the cornerback wouldn't be able to get his hands in there. Um, he said he got, honestly, he said he got a little excited. He saw the coverage and knew, knew where the ball was going. And he kind of, he kind of got a little over, over jumpy and, ran it didn't run it well he said that's that's something you gotta learn to take a breath whatever but I mean the catch down the sideline catch over the middle uh, the two contested catches that's what they thought they were getting from him three catches 61 yards you would not have thought that that was possible after the way he played in the first one with the big drop so reading too much into one one game things with rookies if 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 we go you know if we're sitting here uh when they're about to play the commanders on October 30th and Cross has played one snap, two snaps, four snaps, zero snaps, and he's not playing at all, then I think it's time to, you know, wonder and worry about where Nick Cross's development is. But one game, can't do that with rookies. Like, sometimes it looks different from week to week. Well, and every rookie should be judged in the context of what they're here to do and, and what they were drafted for. And Nick Cross was like a free pick to this team. They traded into the third round to get him, and they did it because they thought – like if they were looking at next year, Chris Ballard thought he'd be a first-round pick, and this—he does feel like a too early player. He was, like I wrote about how he was the youngest player in any NFL roster to start the season. The only guy who was at that point was not 21. Now he's 21, uh, so he's really like a guy they drafted truly for the long term. And at that time, they had Kari Willis still on this team, so it was never supposed to be more than what it is right now. So he's not anywhere behind where he was supposed to be, and but it just shows also like. The makeup of this defense is that strong safety role is right now it is incredibly mental and incredibly uh you know they just got to feel Ron secure about said it. during training camp that it's the most complex position in the secondary yeah. and when you think of the secondary that position is not built to be the star not right now obviously they hope nick cross is eventually a star but right now it's insulated by stefan gilmore at one outside spot kenny moore uh, outside and base and inside in the nickel and you know and then Julian Blackman's having to be kind of that do everything guy in the back end that that strong safety spot it's solidity right now so if that's going to be the role then of course you're going to go with the 32 year old who's started in a Super Bowl started 123 games like Rodney McLeod um, you know against Patrick Mahomes over Nick Cross Nick Cross needs to be looked at more as kind of what you're saying the progression how he how he finds his way in the field and maybe he makes a, a few splash plays that that I think is ultimately what they're looking for is this was a guy at Maryland who just was never in position to make that many plays because he's cleaning up for a kind of subpar defense and it it wasn't an advanced role they just have to build this over time like with I keep saying that all the time is build it over time and that's kind of where Pierce and Jelani Woods Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods I think showed incremental steps help a lot because Pierce it was three really nice catches, but I think he had four targets. I mean, they didn't over, they didn't force feed him to do it. I mean, Jelani Woods had three targets, only 16 snaps, and it was like get these guys focused on the plays they can do well, the moments they can deliver right now, and build confidence that way rather than overload them uh, with too much and then and then kind of blame them when it doesn't work. I thought both guys, I thought both guys had a 
potential for bigger games if Ryan had pulled the trigger on a couple of downfield things. There was run route, one route with Pierce where he's up on the top, and it wasn't it wasn't really just a straight go, um, more of kind of a flag route, or at least what I think of as a flag route. Um, and he was wide open, and Ryan didn't throw it. I don't know if he didn't feel like his feet were set enough, or he was kind of moving in the pocket or whatever, but he didn't, he didn't pull the trigger on it. That one was wide open. Like, that could have been a big gain for him. Uh, there were two plays with Woods, one that they, one that Ryan threw, one that he didn't, where he was kind of beyond the first level of linebackers, underneath the safeties. That It's a place where, he's very, where Woods is very dangerous. We saw it in training camp against the Lions. Uh, if you can get it to him out there, he can be very dangerous with space to run in the open field. Um, one, Ryan missed. He just overshot him. Um, probably his worst throw of the day, honestly. Yeah, he was, uh, he was really open. And then the other one was Ryan was moving to his left and didn't throw it. I don't. It's hard with with Ryan because some, sometimes when he's moving later in the game, I'm wondering if he's thinking about the sack fumbles and trying to make sure he's fine. But there, I felt like there were. I felt like there were opportunities in the passing game beyond some of the protection issues that Ryan could have could have made a bigger play down the field and didn't. Um, yeah, there were moments he's holding the ball too long. Even the one fumble on the left side. I mean, Braden Smith got beat, but you still got to get the ball out, you know, quicker than that. But that's this is just kind of what we were talking about with the comfort level of this offense. There's snap to snap. Matt Ryan right now doesn't know who's going to run at him free or who, where the pressure is going to come from. And it's just creating this this sort of inconsistency in his play. It doesn't excuse it. He's got to get the fumbles under control. Veterans got to be better at that. And yeah, there are moments like this. He's got to hit those open guys he's down the field. Hit those there open was another guys. one. Not with the we were talking about the rookies, but there was a there was a play with uh, Pittman that that play action that they run where Pittman comes across the formation that I was like Pitt, 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 <laughs> like the whole play because he was wide open, and by the time. Ryan looked like he was thinking about throwing throwing it. He, Pitt was trying to Pittman was trying to stay within throwing range because you know you can't throw back across your body unless you're Mahomes. Um, and he'd kind of run he'd kind of run all the way over to where there there was a defensive back there. But that was another one where it's just like if you just hit Pittman there, it's only like a ten or fifteen yard throw, and he had one guy to beat on the outside. I mean he probably doesn't score, but it would look like a 25, 30 yard gain on a crosser and. So that's that's something that you want to see. I, the hard part with Ryan right now, and this is this is the hard part with the Colts offense in general, is they've been so bad on the offensive line in terms of protection. It's hard to know how much of an effect that's having on everything. Him specifically, like mm-hmm. when he's on the move, is he worried about getting hit from behind? Is that was is that why he's not doing? Is that why he's not playing the trigger on this stuff? It's um, he's been sacked so many times in the last two weeks. Just, just for context, I wrote this in a story the other day, but under Frank Reich, the Colts have only allowed five sacks in a game three times prior to the season. They've done it in back-to-back games now. And they've got free rushers coming in in ways they've never seen before. All of it seems to be just affecting everything. I, I felt like Ryan's feet in the pocket up until the last quarter or so were pretty happy. Like pretty, I felt like he was kind of jumpy in the pocket. And I don't know if that's part of some of those missed receivers is is just feeling like the hammer is coming down on him every second. I think so. I've noticed it with the tight end specifically is he seems to be caught in between where um, when you when he goes to throw to Kylan Granson, sometimes Granson's not quite ready, quite turned around, quite set 
for Ryan to throw, and he's not their trust isn't there yet to throw before they're at that point. Like sometimes to get build a good connection in the NFL, you have to throw it before the guy has a lot of times before he's turned, before he's looking, and trust that his hands are going to be in the right place that he'll corral it. That's not there with him. With Mo Ali Cox, I've noticed that some he's really getting a little gun shy throwing to. Mo Ali Cox, which isn't, you know, it's not the same deal. It's not, you know, wondering about a rookie, but it's it's trust that isn't fully there. So these were always going to happen somewhat with this passing game. It's it's when you sprinkle in all this all this problem with the offensive line and all the pressures. I it is starting to live in his head where he's rather than every play thinking about when do I need to throw for Kylan to have a chance to catch this and not be not have it at, at him too quickly or, or Mo Ali Cox. He's having to add that with pressure, and he doesn't know where it's coming from. He doesn't know if it's on his blind side or, you know, if it's if it's going to come early in the down or late in the down. He's Ryan's got to play better, obviously, but on uh, some of these these moments. But really, like we keep going back to, I, I just think the answers are going to come through the offensive line if they can settle that down. I really was more impressed with the receivers and tight ends how open they got this week. They really did a nice job getting open and, and for the most part we're very efficient um uh, they ryan finished 27 to 37 which is kind of amazing to think how much pressure he was under um and and where we've talked about these receivers they really got it done for the most part but they can't be the unit that has to has to lift the entire offense they need an offensive line that, that gets them settled and i think what you have to be excited for is that if it can get fixed like they fixed so much the previous week and the offensive line wasn't but if that unit can get fixed even back to an average level like this could be a really really nice offense we've seen them they, they have a lot of moments in the red zone they've dropped a few touchdowns but they have the plays are often there it's just can they get there a little bit more consistently consistently can they open jonathan taylor up for a run he's not had one that's longer than 21 this year uh on 61 carries and that's usually you know his game is is breaking these big ones can they do that can they just like avoid the avoid the disaster the sacks the fumbles get into the red zone and and let and let ryan guide it because i really think once you've seen them get into the red zone ryan has been really really sharp it just it's not all there between the protections and and there were some growing pains with with drops and whatnot but there's potential in this offense but obviously there's there's also risk because if you're going to let your quarterback get hit that many times, then then any drive can turn into disaster if it's if it's not addressed. The thing the thing I think that's that's the most concerning, and this is what Frank Reich said, is just that this is not characteristic of them. It, mm-hmm. that blitzers, free rushers, not being able to identify um, those guys, it has not generally been a more than maybe one or two game issue for them uh, in the Frank Reich era. I, I, it's, it's important to remind people, I think. It's important to remind yourself when you're thinking about the Colts right now that this is a team that in four years under Frank Reich has never finished outside the top ten in sacks allowed. And some of that with the, in the Jacoby Brissett and Carson Wentz years is because of lack of attempts. But some of it is just they, they're generally pretty good at protecting good the quarterback. Their number when one his first year. They were one his first year and two his third year. Um, when, they've had, when they had luck, they, were, they gave up 18 with Rivers, it was 19. Those two years, they were they were really good at it. But they had quarterbacks who got the ball out, knew how to do it. 12 right now is disturbing. It's very disturbing to see. It's something we haven't really seen from this offense on a consistent basis. And I think that's maybe the your best hope for it is that this is a coaching staff that has a track record of protecting quarterbacks, that they can get it fixed. 
um, more so, I think, than the idea that the personnel are just kind of out of it and are going to come back. Because I, I don't know, outside of Quentin Nelson, we're not seeing a lot from anybody right now to make you feel that way. You kind of have to bet on the – you kind of have to hope that the coaching staff's history and track record starts to take over at some point. And Frank Reich in, seemed to indicate that he, he had an idea of what the issue is. Yeah, I thought so too. And I agree he, with that. He felt like he had a fix. We'll see. I, I do think we should give him the benefit of the doubt for these reasons is that he was hired here to protect Andrew Luck in that first year, fewest sacks in the NFL allowed. You know, he, he they traded. went like I can't remember what the number is now, but they went like five or six games without giving up one. Yeah, it was a, just a remarkable job. And then they traded for Carson Wentz, who was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. And then – uh, you know, and then they finished in the in the top ten and fewest sacks allowed last year. Even though, uh, you know, they had some some issues at left tackle. That was Anthony Costanza not being around anymore. So he he's got a nice track record of this. And you've got to think too that you know there may be some declining play for Ryan Kelly. I think it's gone on a little little while now, but that shouldn't happen as much in that part of the game. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think a veteran as he ages would just not be able to figure that out if he's figured it out before so i'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt for them to fix it it's it shouldn't have gone on this long but things happen and it is a long season if they get it fixed this week we could very much look back and say remember when we were talking about all the protection issues and then they you know then they they found the quick fix i think they will fix the mental part of it my question is is that the only fix they need that's what we're going to learn because there have been moments a lot of moments uh enough moments of physical mismatch losses whether that's you know Braden Smith dealing with speed on the outside uh Danny Pinter and Ryan Kelly sometimes being susceptible to power on the inside prior speed that prior had a bad had a tough day against Josh Allen and then and then was better last week really Quentin Nelson's the only one that you're like okay there there have not been any physical worries there never really are with him but you need them all to be comfortable so I'm just curious to see how this plays out because we talk about comfort for the quarterback. That's true for offensive linemen too. When they don't, if they can get to the point where they're not just constantly worried about what the you know the blitz and who's got it and, and how are we going to pick this up and oh we didn't pick it up and now Matt Ryan's getting hit. There's a personal weight to having Matt Ryan get hit when that was the guy who's here to fix this. So the offensive line is feeling this right now. I I was impressed with how accountable they were the past week here. They were serious. They were dialed in. They all talked to the media. They all owned it. They said, I mean, a lot of the quotes, Ryan Kelly said, we're licking our wounds. Matt Pryor said he's, uh, you know, he's trying to build on the positives so he doesn't drown in the negatives. Uh, Quentin Nelson said he was going to take out his anger on the scout team. Like, these guys are really, like, as mad as any fan is watching this, the the offensive line's been the same way. What I worry about is almost, I almost wonder if they're, I don't know how much we can get into it, but I wonder if they're going too far in that direction. They almost they need like a good game to just feel good again. I mean, it's it's kind of an angry, kind of confused situation. So that's where this is where Frank Reich's putting it on himself to. He's going to get them right by getting them to think less and be less confused. He's trying to simplify their jobs to where if they can just start to play a little bit better, have an average game, have a decent game, kind of like they did against the Texans, but do it do it against a better opponent, if they can do it in a win against the Titans, even if it's not all perfect, but it's, it's moved in a much better direction, I think would be huge for this unit. I wonder, I wonder if the being unsettled at left tackle since Anthony Costanzo has, a, has had a ripple down effect. Um, because in 19 and 20, they were pretty, the offensive line was still pretty good. Um, they had Costanzo. And Reich talked about how he didn't have to help out Costanzo 
very very few times that he have to help him out he could just know the left tackle was settled didn't and they haven't had that really i mean fisher was terrible um is coming off the achilles tendon very risky decision by chris ballard to go there uh and it didn't work out and now you've got Pryor, who has been up and down but has struggled with speed struggled against josh allen and you can't you can't do some of the stuff that you did when you could just had Anthony Costanzo out there. And I wonder if it's having a, a effect on the rest of the offensive line that they haven't gotten that position settled. Now, the other thing is with right guard right now, it does feel sometimes when you're watching the game or watching the tape or whatever that they're trying to help out Pinter, sometimes to the detriment of picking up blitzers. And that's a problem. That's a significant problem. Um, we saw it all through training camp. We saw it all through training camp. Every time Pinner went against DeForest Buckner, uh, bad things happened for the offense. And it's it's coming up the last couple of weeks, but now it was Chris Jones last week. Uh, the one guy who ran him over was actually Frank Clark, which is disturbing because Frank Clark's not a very big not, – not like known as a power guy. Um, and then this week is Jeffrey Simmons. These are good <laughs> defensive tackles they're going against. Uh, and that guard position is going to be a problem – it just feels like it just feels like they 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 took some risks personnel wise and they've got to fix them somehow. I, we don't know how Bernard Raymond's ankle is. If if the thing the reason I think that they knew about right guard is because we saw them tinker and I mentioned this on the last pod, but they tinkered with Raymond at left tackle, Nelson at left guard, Kelly, um, Braden Smith at right guard and then Pryor at right tackle during camp. They never really messed with anything else. They didn't like pull Nelson out to see what they would do or pull Kelly out to see what they would do in those situations. That was the only one that they messed with was trying to fill that right guard spot. And I wonder if, if that's still on the table, if they like that enough based on the way Raymond's played in the first couple of weeks. I, it's hard to know because he had his ankle hurt last week and was declared out. Um, but that's the that's the thing I keep coming back to because it's it's the thing we've seen them tinker with in terms of fixing that spot. Um, it doesn't seem like Will Fries is an option yet. Maybe maybe that changes this week. Um, but personnel wise, Pinter has really struggled to start this season more so I think than any of the other four. And last year at this time, after the first three weeks, is right around the time that they switched from Julian Davenport to Matt Pryor at right tackle and the line gelled after that they, they played much better after that than they did in the first three weeks i wonder if we're at that point again where the colts are going we've got to make a move here a personnel move to help solidify this unit that's not playing anywhere near its pay level or the standard in, in indianapolis it is interesting on its surface to think that a right guard issue is this problematic because the colts are not the only team that is trying to get by at right guard but when you think about the makeup of it, it makes some more sense. So you've got Quentin Nelson at left guard, and we know he's you know, all pro, maybe the best, uh, you could argue, the best offensive lineman in football. And so other teams, when they're going up against him, they're not going to put their top interior rusher against him. They're, they're going to put him on the other side. And so if – Right, why would you waste Chris Jones and Jeffrey Simmons against Quentin Nelson when you can put him against Danny Pinter and win a bunch? Yeah, yeah. And so if the question with Pinter is physically anyway – like, like I used to think in camp, well, when DeForest Buckner's blowing it up, you know, I try to give a little bit of leeway because it's DeForest Buckner. I mean, this is an amazing player. 
But he's going to face a lot of amazing players on the right side because of this situation with Quentin Nelson. And so I think the Colts were betting. Obviously, they thought Danny Pinter would play better than this. They also thought – I think they were really banking on the unit lifting that spot up, you know, with with Ryan Kelly at center and, and Brain Smith at right tackle. And I think, though, that we're starting to learn that those are good players that have a few limitations if they're having to always help out that guard. For example, Braden Smith – you know he's made it work without a lot of length but if he's having to start you know if he's having to give a a, a punch inside or, or really work a lot of these these combos with Danny Pinter he's having a hard time catching guys who are going around the edge because he doesn't have that natural length to do both so um so that's some of the issues so it is interesting to see like they could Brainsmith was drafted to be a right guard um so maybe maybe that gets him playing really well, and and I do think Matt Pryor Matt Pryor's told me he's more comfortable on the right side. That's what he's told coaches. Um, so I could see that working. I just they're trying to they're they're in a tough spot because they're trying to make week to week decisions to help save Matt Ryan right now, which is very critical, while also figuring out the long term plan of this all because this is the highest paid offensive line, and I just wonder about moving you know a tackle like Braden Smith that they paid right tackle money into right guard um, and then all of a sudden you're trying to project forward to figure out who are our tackles we now need now potentially you're in a spot where you need two tackles because your right tackles Matt Pryor's in a contract year this is getting too far ahead but I just I think this is why this is why sometimes when we wonder why why didn't they do this fix already there's sometimes a little bit more going on than just that week's game and that situation they're trying to settle as many other things they can before they pull certain levers so that's where i think frank reich's taking it upon himself to to fix some of the free rushers but at some point if it is a matter of physical problems at right guard and that is that is just not something there's not a schematic fix to you know size and strength uh that's where they're going to have to do something and i think the fact that they've tinkered with that lineup uh is telling yeah i i the the truth the hard truth of the NFL is that if you if you don't make changes that you think will work because you're looking at the long term you will lose a bunch of games in the short term and this Colts team has not been that at all that every player has said they feel like they can do something they like the guys they've got you can't let you know worry about the future when the future gets here <laughs> that's or, or as 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 uh, as I like to tell, that's a I like, sometimes I like to say that's a problem for future Joel. That's a problem for future Chris. It's a problem for future Chris. Right now, Frank Reich has to figure out how to get his offense going. It has not been good enough. And I thought the thing about last week was, after a game against Jacksonville and and a game against Houston too, where it felt like there was a ton going wrong. Last week felt like, last week it felt like just about everything looked better. And it's shown a spotlight on what the worst problem is. And the worst problem is the offensive line. And I don't know how the offense is going to get going until the offensive line starts playing better football, um, both in the pass game and the run game. I think the pass game is a bigger and worse problem right now. But until that happens, you're not going to see this offense play well. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because, like, People were saying, why aren't they calling more quick stuff? Why aren't they throwing quicker? Matt Ryan got the ball out in 2.52 seconds. It was the sixth fastest time in the NFL last week. He's, he was getting the ball out quick. They ran quick game. It wasn't working. you know. And he was still getting, he was still under pressure on some of those, even though he was getting the ball out fast. There's, there's only so much you can do as a play caller when, you can't block, when your offensive line can't block people. 
There's just so much you can do because that's the entire foundation of every play in the NFL is that the offensive line has to be able to block. And until they start getting them playing better, you that's it's it's the number one and it's so far above the number two right now concern for me with this team that like I mean you're obviously position coaches and everyone are trying to focus on improving all over the place but the offensive line is a critical is, is critical mass critical issue right now and they've it's it's dragging the entire rest of the offense down with it yeah it the play calling thing is is a very important point because I feel like we bring this up once once a podcast, but it just it's worth reiterating that like the issues are so much bigger than play calling, and sometimes the issues create the play call. So when they ran multiple third down plays were screens to Michael Pittman Jr. that the Chiefs kind of set them up for, but then just sprint on a beeline to tackle Michael Pittman Jr. It's like they knew that was coming, and you wonder, well, why do they keep doing it? Because they don't <laughs> – that's that's what you do when you get blitzed a lot and when you don't trust the protection is you get the ball out to receivers and ask them to make the plays. And the Chiefs played them well, but it's it's just hard. When you when you can't trust your drop back uh, protection skills, it's hard. And, look, every team's got a weakness they have to work around. Chris Bowder brings that up a lot. So every team, every NFL team has some position group they're looking at and having some kind of conversation like this. The problem for the Colts is this was supposed to be the strength. It's the highest paid offensive line in the league on a team that has a 37-year-old you know, pocket quarterback that has a running back with superstar abilities but needs blocking like they all do and with really young receivers who are going to have to have some growing pains. The receivers played great this week, but asking them to be that efficient at the ages they're at it's just not going to happen every week. We're gonna if the, if the offensive line plays this way, we're going to have another conversation where these receivers look like rookies, or they don't look like what they, it'll be. It'll be more like Jacksonville because that's just what happens, and it's it's putting too much pressure, I think, on and you know guys like you know Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell and Jelani Woods and like these guys who were just supposed to be pieces, but they're not supposed to like win so quickly, you know, and separate so dynamically right off the snap to make up for what's going on in the offensive line. So when it comes to Frank Reich, because everyone wants to make a conversation about him, what I would what I would say is that if this continues this way, I would be more critical of him if he doesn't make a personnel adjustment on the offensive line. If they keep rolling this out and it keeps being a problem, that to me will be a point of criticism. That's not so much play calling. That's just you know offensive design that's a bigger issue than play calling i hope we get to a point though where we can just nitpick the play calling like the offensive line's great and, and there are no personnel uh crisis going on like that i'm i'm happy to have that conversation if we're at that point because there is you know play calling can be criticized but right now their issues are so much bigger than that and almost every team you find that will build their team around an offensive line it's not if those guys aren't performing nobody looks like a good play caller chiefs on Sunday, I mean that's that's the or thing the is Super Bowl. The Chiefs, the Chiefs on the Sunday, Chiefs on Sunday. They've they've after that Super Bowl, they went and made huge investments in the offensive line, and they've got big names and big high draft picks, and they made Mahomes hold it. And DeForest Buckner had an unbelievable game, and he got good help from the rest of the defensive line. And you saw what happens to the Chiefs with a mobile quarterback who can do things that other people can't in terms of escaping the rush, just the fact that the offensive line, the Kansas City offensive line, wasn't winning the battle against the Indianapolis defensive line, they lost the game because of that. 
It's you know Ryan is 37 and he's not as mobile as Mahomes, but the way the Colts' offensive line is playing right now, you could put Mahomes back there and it would look bad because he was getting he's he'd be getting hit or he'd be being run into incomplete. What happens with Mahomes is you end up running him into incomplete passes because he just keeps running straight backwards and knows his arm strength is enough that he can get it back to the line of scrimmage. But uh, but yeah, like the Chiefs are a good example. What the Colts just did to the Chiefs defensively is is a good example of why the offensive line matters so much even if you have a super mobile super creative uh quarterback capable of throwing from all kinds of different arm angles if they're under pressure on the in the pocket the offense is not going to work the way it's supposed to the chiefs offense did not work the way it was supposed to because of the pass rush and because of the coverage i think gus bradley did a lot to make it hard on Mahomes to throw to his quick read right away but they also had a lot of pressure and bringing it back to the colts offense it's just not going to work. If it doesn't work for Kansas City with that guy at quarterback to have pressure, it's really not going to work for – And their play caller? Yeah, it's it's really not going to work for a, a team with a 37-year-old quarterback who doesn't move like Patrick Mahomes does and can't just do the absolutely wrong thing and run straight backward. That's the wrong thing to do. Mahomes can get away with it, but, like, that's the wrong thing to do. Like yeah, You don't want Matt Ryan. You have that. to have the offensive line to to help these guys out. And, they, they like I said, they – if if they weren't throwing it quickly, I went I went and looked at that because they were slow in Jacksonville. Matt Ryan was slow getting the ball out in Jacksonville, I think, because Pittman wasn't there, Pierce wasn't there, he didn't have some of his options. That was correct this week. Two point five two seconds is Philip Rivers' time. That's that is really fast. That will put you in the top five or six in every season I've ever looked at on the next gen stats of time to throw. And yet they still gave up five. And sacks. they gave up five sacks and ten quarterback hits. That's bad. That means the offensive line has to get fixed. Yeah, no doubt. And they're lucky this week, or fortunate in this matchup, is that Harold Landry is out for the year, and he's one of the best speed rushers. They got three sacks uh, from Rashad Weaver. I should say, it's to clarify, it's never a fortunate thing when a player is out for the year. But they don't have to deal with speed this week with Harold Landry being out for the year, who's one of the absolute fastest, most electric edge rush players that would have been a really tough matchup for Matt Pryor now you don't have to worry about that as much so I think looking for positives Matt Pryor played a lot better I think I saw he gave up one hurry this past week uh you know it wasn't the toughest matchup either but that's the thing you got to build and he was I, I really do think Matt Pryor's wired to be a guy who gets a little bit more comfortable and confident by the week and just has to kind of hold in as best as he can against the speed matchups he faces Jeffrey Simmons is obviously the the huge. I'd feel huge, better if Pryor was on the huge. right side. Yeah, I well, I would too. That's a huge concern. Is is Jeffrey Simmons? We know what's going to happen. He's going to line up over Danny Pinter, and they're going to have to find a way to hang in. Danico Autry too. They can they can send different kinds of people at him because yeah. they've got him. Autry Autry is an end, but he can play inside. He used to here. So, um, this that that part of it. If you look at if you're looking at just the baseline stats for the Tennessee Titans. This looks like a game that maybe the offense is, the Colts offense has a chance to get going because they've, they've not been good against the run. They've not been good against the pass. Not really. Um, they're in the 20s in all of their rankings on those sides of the ball. I think they're 26th in defensive DVOA. But one matchup can ruin that, and the matchup I'm looking at is Danny Pinter versus Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons. Because if I was the Titans, that's the one that looks the most Ugh. gettable for me. You think about the stunts and twists. I mean, those have given so many problems to the Colts this year. So, it, like, it feels like every time they're in a third and third 
down situation where they're going to pass so five or longer it's it's the most predictable thing you're either going to see a, a stun or a twist or a blitz and almost every time it creates pressure and that's the problem they're having a hard time you're going to have some of those so those plays in football they're having a harder time staying out of it because the run game is not as lethal as it was that'd be another thing that would be nice is Jonathan Taylor had 21 carries last week they get 37 passes for Matt Ryan right now until they've totally built out this receiving core you'd like I think they should ideally put a little bit more on Taylor. I know we've got to run. About, they got to run it better to do that. Right, right. And I mean, we've had talks about talk about the long term and, and putting carries on Taylor. And yes, that has to get under control. I think right now, though, the the way this team's built, that should be how they have to try and win games. But yeah, they have to run better than that. They can't twenty one carries for like seventy one yards. I think he had a long of thirteen, and on the season is a long of. 21 like we need to see that the other thing too is what we haven't seen this year is taylor i think the biggest value for taylor in this version of this modern era of football is that he can break it the distance he can take a carry that maybe you blocked for 20 yards and he can run it for 60 and what it does is it ends the drive there's no more third downs there's no more plays where the offensive line has to drop back and play backwards there's no more plays just points yeah receivers have to win like it is an easing effect so you think about this is like why coaches talk about complimentary football so much like last week them them forcing that uh muffed punt on sky Moore, getting the ball at the four yard line and scoring made life easy on that whole offensive personnel it was go win one red zone matchup jelani woods did it took him to third down but he did it they scored a touchdown they were playing from in front that's what this team is badly needed they've the run game is a huge part of that springing jonathan taylor for even one, if we see one 65-yard touchdown run, I really think it'll start to have that trickle effect where guys feel like we don't have to win third and six every single drive four times to get a score because it's it's just working way too hard for this offense. The effect of it could be seen in the Titans' first game. They were winning it. Saquon Barkley went for 68, and the uh, Titans ended up losing. Um, big rivalry game coming up. We're getting close to the point where we've got to go out, uh, all three of us, me, Nate, and our – um, the guy who's really the most important person for the podcast, Clark Wade, <laughs> have to go out to the uh, have to go out to the Colts facility. So we're going to wrap it up here. But just remember, this Bowser is coming this week. Luckily, he's coming to Mario's house. Got to jump on his head. Maybe get some help from the Redwoods. Yeah, the Redwoods got to show up and, and help Mario out a little bit. He can't run without a line. Technically, when Bowser dies, he doesn't actually just kind of fall over. He's he goes over the edge. I'm Joel A. Erickson, and this is Nate Atkins.